Welcome to the Sailing Into Oblivion podcast, where we sit down with everyday people who do extraordinary things. I'm your host, Jerome Rand. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. Today, I sit down with friend of the show, Dobbs. He is back. Yes, he was very, very coincidentally in Michigan, in Dexter, when I came down for my talk. He was only up here on a little kind of vacation from the BVI down there where he's been since, oh, that's, I think, seven seven or eight years now. But always a pleasure to have him on the show, full of enthusiasm, full of information about the BVI. We're going to talk about how that's made its recovery back into pretty much full swing. Then we just sort of hit on some topics uh, kind of all over the place, from my presentations to just about anything. I uh, love having him on the show. Really just a, a great guy and an awesome friend who I uh, definitely look up to, man. He's absolutely killing it in uh, every endeavor that he's doing. And it's always just a pleasure to sit down and have a, an uninterrupted hour with this young man. So always great to see him and how he is just really killing it at life and really, really awesome. Um, but before we start the show, like I always say, if you want to become part of the supporting crew, the family, the Patreon family, follow the link in the description and you too could help support this show and support, honestly, the next adventures uh, that are coming up down the line. You know, Mighty Sparrow's not cheap and uh, I need to make sure I, I take care of her like she takes care of me. You know, doing these presentations, I sit there and I watch the punishment uh, over and over that I put that boat through, and I want to make sure I get it nice, get her nice, neat, and ready to go. And uh, that ne necessitates a little bit of uh, monetary support. So I definitely appreciate everybody who has already stuck with me for so long. It really, really means a lot, and it's why I keep going. And uh, I keep plugging away. Obviously, we still got the merch line. I'm wearing one of the shirts right now. The fit is so lovely. These t-shirts, I tell you, they're just the right kind. They, uh, they're not too big, not too sloppy, anything like that. And I have them in uh, seven different lines. So pretty cool stuff. You can follow the link for those. Other than that, if you want to reach out to the show, sailingintooblivion.com and follow the podcast link and contact the show. Those go directly to me. And one more time, another shout-out for Sail Junkie. Check it out. You know, you can see lots of, you know, fellow sailors writing in good articles, things like that, and uh, you definitely want to check that one out. So well worth it. I'll put a link in the description uh, as well. But other than that, let's get on with Dobbs and Jerome on the show once again. Thanks for listening. Uh, so I have all that stuff on, so for, for on the YouTube channel, yep. I have underneath is like the merch shelf and I cool. put out, I don't know, like five different ones of, of pictures and stuff like that of my own. And then this, this guy, Mike, who runs a uh, sail junkie, which is like a, it's like sailing anarchy, but. Um, so it's all this different sailing news, but it's mostly like people writing in articles and stuff, their own experience. It's really cool. And like cruisers or like racers or what? Everything, anything. And, you know, anybody can submit stuff there. And it's really, it's a great website. He reached out to me and, um, he actually sent me this really cool, uh, 
drawing that was he used like an AI program, but it's got like Mighty Sparrow in it, and it's got all these Easter eggs where it's essentially like there's a little picture of Captain Ron hidden away, and <laughs> you know all that, and and Joe versus Volcano, his luggage is floating around Sparrow, but it's a really cool rendering of this, <laughs> this this nice little scene. But yeah, I don't know, it's it's been fun. It's one of those things where you in in my line of work, I'm trying to you have to utilize all these little facets that might just generate a little bit of revenue and they all, if they all come together and start to grow, then you can actually, cause the, the goal here is just to self-sustain. Yeah. I'm right. not there yet, but I'm getting closer. Every presentation, every podcast. Welcome back to the show, by the way, Dobbs. Are we live? Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh we're, we're just doing I it. Just, I just keep like, <laughs> I was wondering, I was like, yeah. I feel like I don't really want to stop this momentum right now. Cause it feels <laughs> like we're talking about things, but let's ride. All right, let me let's. I'm just gonna turn the volume down a little because you are, you hear Dobbs before you see him. That old that old shtick. No, me. Yeah, a little bit. Little no bit. way. No, Could no, it? You're good. <laughs> Quiet voice and small head. That's what people say about me. <laughs> That's a exact perfect rendering. But no, friend of the show this year, second time, right? Yeah, second time. First on. time was at Jerome'stown. Yeah, up in uh, Petoskey. Dude, I didn't get to set that place up this year. At all? No, nah, well, because... Weren't you... Wait, I feel like you were up there. Though. I was up there working at, at camp and stuff. The only problem is I was living on site. And if you set up Jerome'stown and you're not there every night, the raccoons, porcupines, they, they, they're squatters. Move in. Man. They move right Take in. over. I'd peel back that comforter on that bed. There'd be a whole family living in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so comfortable. It they're is. It, it really is. Yeah, I did miss it, though. That that idea of your, your only entertainment for the evening is definitely not a tv it's a uh it's a nice fire and the sound oh of jerome sound yeah of jerome sound so i don't know it, it was pretty cool but I, I i wanted to ask you like straight off the bat how's the bvi you've awesome. been down there you just came back you're about to go back down yeah awesome yeah. i mean fully back fully back it went nice. through some drama i mean hurricane irma 2017 yeah destruction peril it was crazy <laughs> to see. And a lot of people's lives were uprooted. I mean, I'm lucky enough where I have a home back here in Michigan and family that I could come back to. Um, but for the local Islanders that we're friends with, Kinto, Michael, Lenford, everybody that we know, it was a totally different experience. Yeah. And rebuilding their houses, rebuilding the resorts that they worked in, getting their jobs back, just getting life kind of restarted. It took years. Yeah, years. I mean, people, I, I remember talking with Sean and he was saying, you know, they were living pretty much underneath a, a tarp still for, I don't know, for how long after that happened. Because, yeah, everything goes so slow construction wise mm -hmm. and change and everything down there. But you're saying now things are, are pretty much ripping right back up. Yeah. And then obviously it was just getting back like. February 2020, mm -hmm. and then COVID. And then COVID, yeah. Boom, yeah, yeah. BVI closes the borders. Eight months of no one in or out of the country. Tourism yeah. completely shut down. And then all of the regulations in place, which made it harder to come in and testing. Yep. And you had to you know, show all these negatives. And if you tested positive, you had to quarantine so people didn't come. So that season was still a little slower. Last season kind of ramped up, or the season after that kind of ramped up, and then last season it felt like it was back, back to pre Irma BVI super yachts in the North Sound, charter boats everywhere, people fighting for mooring balls at the Bitter End Yacht Club. <laughs> <laughs> it was great, uh, and everywhere it feels like everywhere's back open. 
Bitter yeah. End Yacht Club is back open. Saber Rock is back open. Leverick's open. Oil Nut Bay is open in the North Sound. Everywhere on Anagata is open. Willie T's open at Norman. Cooper Island Beach Club. Even Marina Key just reopened in July over oh, by really? Scrub Island in yeah, Trellis yeah, yeah. Bay. Um, they had been shut since the storm, and they've now got fuel back, water back, the docks open, a really cute little kind of Caribbean vibe bar and restaurant, and a boatload of mooring balls. They probably got 35 or 40 balls out there. Oh, really? Yeah. And that's that's right it. Is that Scrub Island? Yep, right yeah, between okay. Trellis and Scrub. Right, okay, okay. Because, yeah, there's Marina Key. Which is that little itty bitty island, right? Yep, that's what I'm talking about. That's the one you're talking about. Oh, okay, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Oh wow, I didn't realize it took them that long. Was that? Let me ask you. In, in Trellis Bay, what's the name of that bar that's right in the middle on that island? The last resort. Last resort. Is that because I know that was like wasn't that closed down before Irma? I don't know if it was closed before Irma. I feel like it wasn't because I feel like. Well, maybe. That might have been a different season. Do you remember that one season where we were closing down Better End Water Sports and Lincoln and Ross went to a party at Last Resort the night before? And then we had the pack down day and Uh they came back. They missed the ferry or something. And they were pretty late. They came in super late that morning for like one of our busiest days of the year. And they weren't happy when I told them they had to stay and, you know, and work and fill in those last (laughs) few hours. Boy, I remember that was a battle boy yeah well hey you know it's uh never the easiest thing or running a team like that so i remember that it was at least open then Mm. uh i don't know if it closed before irma but no that place is still completely shut down funny story about that though there is a wrecked west sale 32 yes sitting on last resort i remember who bought that i don't want to shout any names out or anything like that but yeah i uh it was purchased pretty much within months and then months before the hurricane came and then yeah it did it ended up getting wrecked but it was it was a pretty it was in pretty rough shape at the start for sure most of the west sales that are you know just changing hands over and over it's really just the hull you're trying to buy but yeah i remember seeing that uh when i was down there i was like oh no it kind of it's a little heart-wrenching when you see you know one of your boats because the west sale group and the West Sale family they're you know they're like our kids these boats that are out there and and you do you see them you come across them in almost every marina and sometimes they're like beautiful and sometimes you're like oh no yeah I remember the one that you were working with the couple who had just bought it and you were like unreal (laughs) you see your voice it's like you found a da Vinci painting the way you describe this when I first got I arrived there and the guy Mark friend of the show he's been on here um he's he's sitting there and he invites me in I I literally was speechless when I walked out I just didn't even know a West Sale could look like that I just didn't know and it had been previously owned by uh, a former astronaut who had had it for a long time. And he, I want to say he had it out of the water for nearly a decade. And all that was his pet project. He was just like, I'm going to rebuild this from the hull up to a standard. And I think he contracted out the people at like Pacific Seacraft, just more high end. Because essentially West Sales unbeatable in strength for sure mm-hmm. uh but they you know they were i don't want to say cheap boats when they came out of the factory but they weren't fancy let's say that they were functional they were hardy but they weren't like 
what you would think of a yacht. You well, know? that was kind of the idea, right? It was like the yeah. every man's cruiser. Every, exactly. Let's open exactly. this up to families to go see all sides of the world's oceans. Right, right, a hundred percent. And it, it, you know, this one, I would say, I mean, it, it's got to be one of the finest examples of that boat. It's like the the perfect barn find of that Ferrari that's been sitting there under a cover for 35 years. It's like, Oh, what have we found? And I, it was, that was one of the coolest experiences because that was, that sort of opened my eyes up to, you know, in the past I had thought about doing some sort of private sailing instruction, stuff like that. But you know, you have to have, you have to have all these certificate certifications and all that sort of stuff. But I was able to sort of worm my way around that by saying, well, you know, you can hire me on as sort of a consultant, like an expert to just come in and I can share my knowledge with you. We're not using my boat, so I don't really have to have insurance or anything like that on something like that. Because the world of of teaching sailing, there's a lot of uh, sort of protocols that you have to go through to make it legal. If something does happen, you can be in, in serious trouble, right? But if I'm just coming on to sort of consult with you and make you feel more comfortable on your vessel that's a whole different story i mean i i would think you know i i don't really know maybe i shouldn't even be talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, mean, I don't know it was but it was such a great experience because the couple were wonderful and the boat was great mostly i would say 80 well not 80 maybe like 70 percent of it was all marina boat handling skills and it was great because that that marina and that dock and those piers were some of the they're sort of the nightmare situation where, you know, the ideal situation is you have your boat docked up on the face dock on the end of a pier. It's super easy to get in and out and you can do it in any conditions. Well, theirs was like seven piers deep way in in a very tiny fairway. And you have instead of a big, nice pier finger pier, you have a little 10 foot section that's super narrow and tippy that's connected to a piling and you have to tie off onto the two pilings as you come in. And it's like, just, it was, it was like the challenge course. And yeah. It sounds like a labyrinth. Yeah. It was like getting them, getting these guys comfortable to feel, uh, or getting them to feel comfortable being able to go in and practice and stuff. And that was the goal. You know, I've, I've always said that with sailing instruction, I'm not here to make you the greatest sailor. If you're starting at ground zero, you're you're essentially I'm trying to get you comfortable to go out and practice and become the sailor you want to be. Not like I I don't want anybody to expect like at the end of a lesson they're gonna be like, boom, I got this. <laughs> I want them to feel like, okay, now I'm gonna go practice because I know I'm not gonna go hurt myself. How do the West Sales do under power? I know we've talked a lot about sailing the West Sail, but I'd like maneuvering in tight, tight quarters. It's a little tricky. You have to get used to it, that full keel and that big rudder. But I will say uh, they had, I've got a very simple setup, you know, just a, a standard fixed three blade prop. And Sparrow does all right. It's pretty hard to get her to go straight in reverse. You have to, you know, if I'm going to reverse into a slip, I'm going to go about a quarter mile that way and then start because it'll kind of snake and something you have to pay attention to the wind. It's like There's a tank. A, yeah. Just got to get her rolling a little bit. Uh-huh. Exactly. Kind of like Cosmic Warlord. Remember that? Of course. Because it had the two, it had the folding racing prop and you put that in reverse and like nothing happened for about 27 minutes and then you would slowly go. But uh, 
Yeah, they had they had a nicer engine for sure. I don't think it was any more powerful, but the prop that they had, I believe, I believe it's called a Max prop. Uh, I could be wrong on that, but it, it essentially, when you put it in reverse, the blades just flip. And for whatever reason, it was really nice. You were able to use, there's a thing called prop walk, where when you put it in reverse, the prop's spinning one way, and it actually kind of acts like it's gripping the water, and it'll pull the boat or the stern of the boat in that direction, only for a little bit until it gains some speed. But you can utilize that to do like a full 360 without the boat moving from its position. So you put it in reverse, you get the prop walk a little, then you slam it over, and you put it in forward, and then you turn the opposite way, and you kind of can continue that. Well, with their boat, when you know which direction the prop walk is going, you just put the tiller over to the opposite way, and you can just go reverse for a few seconds, neutral, forward, and then it counters it, and back. And that boat maneuvered 10 times better than Sparrow does. Like, I can't do that with my boat. But You think that was the prop? I'm pretty is there sure a difference? The prop. Yeah, yeah. I mean... It, yeah, it has to be because our hulls were identical. They didn't have any of the fancy. There's there's a, I believe it, I can't remember the guy's name, but somebody won the trans pack on corrected time in a West sale back in the oh, 90s. Oh, yeah, I remember hearing about this. And he had done this modification where he essentially filled in the gaps in between the hull and the rudder because there's these big gudgeons and, you know, that connect the, the rudder to the hull. And they're super oversized on a West Sail, and there's bolts that stick out. Which we like for a yeah, long-distance ocean want cruiser. But if you can get a nice, flush, beautiful line and, and that gap, there's like an inch-wide gap in between the rudder and the hull. And so that creates a bunch of turbulence. So essentially, he, makes, he does this modification you know, with like foam and fiberglass or whatever and fills all that in so it's just one smooth, beautiful thing, just like you know any racing yacht would be. I think he gained like a half an otter and not of boat speed overall, which made a huge difference for the you know rating on a west sail oh over a gosh, race yeah. like the Transpac. I mean, obviously the guy won the thing, and it had never yeah. I mean, it it had never been done before. He was a pioneer of it, so essentially, you know, he was working off the original rating, which is a boat that has a hull speed of let's say five knots, but now he's getting six, which might not sound like much, but if if one knot. Off of that, that's another like twenty percent of boat speed. That's huge over a long distance ocean race like that. So that's I thought about win. doing it. I you did. did? I did. I did. I wanted to. I just never before the big trip or what? At what point? Not the, the big trip. I think it was for the second trip, but everything was so sort of uh, last minute because trying to get permission to go through the Northwest Passage and all that sort of stuff. As soon as they gave it to me. I had only like a month or a couple extra weeks of prep time. And I was more concerned about the ice. So I had to protect the bob stay where, you know, there's a big fat wire that comes from the tip of the, the bowsprit down to the hull. And if I'm plunging through ice, um, that thing will get mangled up. And yeah. So some of the experts that were looking at my boat, they were like, yeah, that you, you definitely have to. And I ended up cutting up <clears throat> big old big rigs tire and through bolting a couple layers of that right at that that little pinch point so really had, oh, up on the bow uh-huh yeah, you yeah. just had tiger tire on the yeah, bow yeah, spread yeah. of sparrow i had it, it oh was man like, that's how you know a boat's going in the thick of it you see the, the guy pulling out of the marina with the tires <laughs> captain ron style you know he's going somewhere 
hey, throw them rubber bumper things over. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was it was pretty crazy. But yeah, I, I don't know. It's just one of those things um, to back to our original point. Like it, it was really cool to go and hop on that boat and just just see the possibilities because Sparrow. You know, Sparrow's very basic, and when when it's in offshore, super long distance mode, and I build that big cabinet in, it, you just feel like you're in a capsule that's got a purpose, I guess. But I don't worry about where I'm setting my cup of coffee down. I don't, yeah, of I, course. You know, I got on this boat, and I was like, I don't want to touch anything. Uh, I put sunscreen on. I don't want to accidentally rub against some of this, because the varnish was just perfect. Yeah, I remember and seeing some of the videos. Smokes, yeah. And I, you know, I, I think there's something to be said for having that. And, but at the same time, with my experiences now, I see that as just like, oh, that's a lot of upkeep and well worth it. But even when, you know, when I used to have those Boston Whalers and I paint them all fancy with the amazing blue colors, mm-hmm. the sticker on. It was always great because it was like, man, that is a hot looking boat. It looked like a little Ferrari or a little Lotus or something. But that you had to keep cleaning it. And then at the end of the season, when it's all dinged up and you don't have to worry about it, you just hop in and out of it. And I think, you know, if I'm going to be honest, that's my style. <laughs> a little that's more style. of a utility. Yeah. Let's just go anywhere. Just let's, let's hop in. Let's not worry about keeping the thing cherry. I mean, come on. Yeah, you should uh, you should see the condition of my new boat that I got down in the BVI. Oh, do tell. So I just picked up a, uh, well, hilariously, you know. I mean, you were always like, I couldn't live here. And not have a boat. Got to have a boat. Gotta that was always your both. setup. Yeah. Um, so I followed your advice. The budget was a little lower. Unfortunately, the dream boat was a 15-foot Boston Whaler. Yeah, yeah. Couldn't quite afford that. Right. So right. what I bought first was a 10-foot uh, dinghy. Yeah. Rubber rib with a Tiller old... drive. And no, well, that's the fun part. That's where uh, Bronco <laughs> Billy, as it's fondly called, uh, becomes exciting. So on the back, it had a one of those old school 30 Yamaha two strokes. Okay, a lot I, of power. A lot of power on a 10 foot rib. And this <laughs> thing, I mean, it would start on the first pull. She took a little bit to warm up. Mm-hmm. But when she started, just like me, you weren't sneaking up on anybody. This thing's <laughs> throttling. Little smoke coming out. You know, love that smell of two stroke yeah. in the morning. I'd wake up all electric bay every time I started my boat going into work. But the funniest part about this is it's, it looks like your classic 10-foot rib that all the charter boats have down there with, the, you know, they're getting their tender to and from shore. Right. But this one had been modified. And so in the front, it has a huge storage compartment. Okay. And then it's got an actual steering wheel and a throttle and then a saddle seat down the middle. Oh, wow. And this guy was using them for island tours based out of nanny key uh-huh. he was like locals would sign up for 125 bucks and he'd take them to literally he'd go all across the willie t and norman island on flat days on these oh, which wow. was but he was like it got too crazy it was like people were coming falling off of that thing yeah Jeez. exactly and so he sold them and i got my hands on one and it was an epically hilarious north sound runabout Oh, I'm sure. This thing was great and so fun to drive. I mean, certainly dangerous. Yeah. Way overpowered. You had to have that kill cord on. You could definitely get launched. (laughs) He's got like a jet ski in a way. Yeah. That was what everybody said. Either looks like a jet (laughs) ski or a tennis shoe. 
cruising around the North Sound. <laughs> Tennis shoe. <laughs> yeah. That's what it looks like. So I actually still have that. Uh, it's going to be for sale if anyone in the British Virgin Islands is listening and wants to buy a Ooh. 10-foot jet ski. <laughs> uh, I'm selling it because I just picked up a 15-foot rib. Oh, nice. Old charter, not old charter boat. Charter boat was selling it as their old tender. They're upgrading for next season. And so they were giving it away, basically. And I yeah. heard about it. And so I jumped on the opportunity. But this old girl, she's got some, there was a, um, the catamarans, they had davits to hold this boat on on the back. Uh-huh. And I think the davits were built for a 14-foot uh, tender. Yeah. And this is 15. So when they're out, you know, have oh, it up, it's banging on the front, yeah, banging yeah. on the back. And so... She's definitely, uh, cosmetically, I wouldn't say she's gorgeous, but she holds air like a champ. I haven't had to pump her once, and I've had her for three or four months now. Nice. Um, But I'm with you on, I'm like, at this point, what am I going to do? I'm going to take this boat out and try to silicon all these little hanging pieces off. I'm like, now we're jumping in, and we're going adventuring. What's the boat for? Is the boat for looking at? Or is the boat for using? Yeah, and, and I think it's like for using. using. Yeah, 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 exactly. Well, and that, you know, that was kind of the uh, sort of yin and yang of, of working on that that 17 up in Michigan. So I was like, okay, well, we're talking boat, now about a sailboat, sailboat a not a uh, not a powerboat anymore. Well, we had to. Yeah, I mean, with this one, we had to. I was sort of always just back and forth between, mm, you know, I want to make this nice as possible. So it looks great because, I mean, half the appeal to that that old classic style is how it looks when it's sitting on a mooring. But at the same time, I was like, I got to make this thing super crazy strong and I can't worry too much about that part. So, I, you know, I don't know. It's one of those things. I feel like a dinghy down at in the islands. You just want to be able to rip that sucker up the beach, like throw a bunch of beer in it, whatever. Not ever even think like, oh, my feet are sandy. I better <laughs> rinse them off. No, no, no. And it does. It, it, how many good times have you had on that freaking thing, dude? Oh, it's fantastic. <laughs> I mean, every morning I feel so lucky. I drive my car down to Leverick Bay. I walk from it, boat sitting there on yeah. the dock, hop right in, fire up, and then I just drive my boat into work. Yeah. That's right. my commute with my morning coffee. Maybe cruise by a super yacht or two, take in the sights. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. Uh, then mosey my way onto, uh, onto the dock at work, and let's start the day. Do you ever have, though, I mean, getting up to oil nut, I mean, bitter end, it was always pretty protected, but... When it's like rough, dude, do you have like a change of clothes up at Oil Nut? Oh, so Bronco Billy, yeah. the ten footer. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, <laughs> that was a wet ride. I wear my speedo on the <laughs> transfer up there, and then I shower. <laughs> Usually, my go-to is I try to go to the gym before work, and so I just wear the gym clothes in. And oh, it doesn't okay. matter if I get wet because I'm gonna go work out and get sweaty anyway. Yeah, and then I will shower after that. But if that wasn't the case, or when my wife was coming up with me there, yeah. full raincoat and galoshes right, on, right, on Bronco. Right. And there's certainly, you know, anytime it was above about 20 knots, that was about the capacity for yeah. Bronco Billy to go into work. Oh, okay. Especially with the wife on the back. Because that's right. They would still run a ferry up there for the rest of the staff, right? Oh, yeah. So yeah, I could yeah. hop on the ferry. Okay. It was just, it's so nice to be on my own time. Dude, I know. I, there's something about that. It's, I mean, I, I think that's why Americans still are so willing to like commute in their own cars. When you even, you know, even if you're just on the highway, there's something about being in your car 
and you're making your way. I, I don't know. I think it's ingrained in us as a nation. Yeah, it might be why I love it so much. But now in the 15, I go, I mean, I went up the other, we had like a tropical wave blowing through yeah, back yeah, in yeah. August or September, blowing 30 plus. And I went up and got a couple drops on me. I mean, it was perfect. Oh, wow. Yeah, handled like champ. Nice. That's nice. So that boat goes up and everything. Up. And is that one tiller driven, or does that have a? No, dude, up? it's got a seventy Yamaha on the back, full center console. It's oh, like geez. a proper, okay. proper rib. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice, nice. God, whatever happened to my old Boston Red the fifteen? I don't know, Chris or uh, the bitter end uh, boatwright. I know bought it and was fixing it up. Yeah, but I haven't seen it. Hmm. I gotta ask him. I don't he probably know. Flipped it, sold it for about seven times more than I sold it to him. Probably. I was always, I you know, I, for me when 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 it came to like selling boats and stuff, I just wanted to not be hassled by trying to find the best buyer and the best price. And this, I was always just like, man, you'll give me some money for it. It's yours. Yeah. I just want to be done with it, free and clear. And that's how I, I mean, even with like when I, I haven't owned a car in almost a decade now, but the last car that I had, I looked at the blue book value, it said, you know, like seven grand or something like that. And I put it on online for like five and was just like first buyer. Boom. I sold that thing in a day. And yeah. I was just like done. Well, and it's a lot of work. On. You got to like yeah. people are going to come and test drive and then mm-hmm. they're going to not show up for it. And then you got to show it to five, six different people. Next thing you know, you've spent six, seven, eight hours on just showing how people much is your time. Work? Yeah, exactly what I was just about to say. God, you know, yeah, I'm valuable. You are. <laughs> million dollar man over here <laughs> so yeah to get back to the bbi man it's been great it feels like this season was it it was officially back knock on wood certain so far we haven't had tropical storms that have been really effective yet yeah i know um, right? we're still like, in it mm-hmm. right now i'm not gonna jinx anything it's still going on um, but it's been months. a nice season that so far um and yeah we're really excited i mean this season should be uh, a busy one yeah. down in the islands and everyone's ripping and roaring Dude, that's awesome. It's so great to hear because I, yeah, I mean, it's, it was, it was like when it rains, it pours, you know, you had that big hurricane wiped everything out. And just as it was like, all right, it looks like we're getting ready to open again. Boom. Pandemic. And then, and you know, you really got to feel for a country, which is really almost solely based on tourism to have two big hits like that. I feel like a third would have just that would have been the end. I mean, I, I do know that they have. I I would, I would be. It would be interesting to see, you know, because there are some pretty high end, successful billionaires that have have made that place their home. You know, like Branson and and Page mm-hmm. and all these guys. But, and that's got to help make it sort of insured for the future as far as like a destination to go to. Like, I don't think it would ever get knocked completely back into, like, the dark ages where there's no more currency there. There's no ferries going in between the islands. Everybody's just fishing. I mean, that would have been cool to see, but that would have been pretty hard living, especially when it stopped raining for yeah three, four months, and you're like, what do we do? Yeah, and I think you're right. There's there's been so much money invested Mm -hmm. in the BVI that I think it'll be interesting what happens um, to see with the airport. They're talking about expanding the runway on Beef Island. 
Oh, really? Yep. They want to. Well, there's actually now there's direct commercial flights from Miami, from right? Miami through American Airlines. Um, they're still more expensive than the traditional methods of getting to the BVI. Fly to St. Thomas, take a ferry or fly San to Puerto Juan, Rico, yeah. San Juan, and then take like a smaller plane. Um, the American flights so far from what I've seen are still more expensive, mm-hmm. but convenience, you know, has is certainly there. Yeah. Take out, you oh, know, yeah. from me getting there from Michigan, it's usually three flights, and now that would take it down to two. So that makes your travel day significantly better. And that's yeah, I mean that that was always again. I mean to go back to how much is your time worth? You might save fifty bucks if you do like this other route, but then you know you're going to lose hours. And when you're when you're trying to do a destination like the BVI, those hours count, man. Oh, then the risk too. Like, and now I have two flights. I got to make one connection. If I got three flights, True. I got to have two planes take off on time, and then three planes also take off on time to make that ferry that I have at the end of the trip. That's always been the blessing and the curse of the BVI is how hard it is to get there. Yeah, and yeah. it's a blessing because. Keeps out the riffraff. Yeah, it does. <laughs> and you're not walking into McDonald's and KFC. You're yeah, flying in, true. and it feels like this really genuine, like unique local spots everywhere you go. And that's because it is. Yeah, you yeah, got yeah. iconic destinations: Cooper Island Beach Club, and Yost Van Dyke with the Soggy Dollar Bar, and Anacata Reef Hotel, and Cow Wreck, and it's. All these locally run establishments. It's not the Marriott and the Hilton and the Ritz Carlton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what makes it so special. But and it keeps people out too, so it's never super crowded, or at least almost never. Um, but the curse is that it's a pain in the butt. You got to yeah. work yeah. to get down there. No, for sure. Well, my my go to back in the day was always to fly into San Juan. And then take one of those puddle jumpers direct to VG. Oh, yeah. But you just never knew. You never knew if that flight was going to get canceled, if they were just going to be like, you know what? We're just going to land in Tortola. (laughs) Sorry. You remember my first time when I first ever came to the BVI to work for you? I do. I do. That's exactly what happened. Yeah. yeah, I was supposed to land on Virgin Gorda, and it got delayed taking off. And so we're literally in the air from San Juan, Puerto Rico on Air Sunshine, which <laughs> Jerome had recommended to me as a place. It's as a, a bit of a gamble, but, you know. I literally had to, I mean, this is 2014. Like, it's not that long ago. Yeah. I literally had to fax Air Sunshine my, like, boarding pass information. These guys were operating in the 80s still. I mean, it was a true inter-island airline. Yes. And I'm like, oh, my God, I get on this thing, the tail, what a tail feather, I don't know what you call it, on an airplane is all painted with palm trees and <laughs> Caribbean beach scenes. A little bit of duct tape. <laughs> and I'm like, oh boy. Streaming off the back. And sure enough, we get in the air and we're flying into what I think is Virgin Gorda. Drone's going to meet me there. Uh, he's going to take me over to the Better End Yacht Club. I'm so excited to see where I'm going to be living. And we're in the air and the pilot just looks back and he's like, uh, hey, guys, got a little bit too late with the delay uh, because of uh, sunset happening. We're going to have to land on Tortola. Yep. I'm like, in my head, I'm like, what's Tortola? <laughs> <laughs> I'd done zero research on the British Virgin Islands before deciding to move there, it turns out. I'm like, that's not good. I'm supposed to be on Virgin Gorda. Yeah. And so. Is that the same country? Yeah, I have no idea. But it's really loud, so I can't really be asking yeah, these yeah, questions. Yeah, right. And so we land, and I start to figure this out, and <laughs> finding out that I'm close to Virgin Gorda, 
but there's uh, we've already missed the last ferry, but there's maybe this like North Sound Express thing that's running to the North Sound. So I'm all excited to get on that boat. And then out of nowhere, I just hear Tabler. <laughs> And Jerome comes like running up to the airport. And, dun, 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 dun. Yeah, literally just the, my hero, <laughs> Captain Jack Sparrow style. And you had, it was so flat that night. Breathless out there. Yeah. I mean, you could not normally do this, but you brought your 15 foot Boston Whaler all the way to Trellis Bay Beef Island. We loaded all my luggage in and we ripped back up to the North Sound. That was one of the best entrances uh, or introductions, I should say, to having a staff come to the BVI I've ever been able to. And it all just worked out because of the weather, obviously. But I can't remember how I knew that they were going to close it because you didn't have to wait all that long. Uh, at Tortola? Yeah. Oh, you not at all. You pretty much landed and then oh, I, I was already there. Yeah, I think, I think somebody had, had been like, dude, he's never going to land on VG. You were at the Virgin Recall. Gorda Airport. You were talking to oh. our immigration fan, friend Judy Ann, and Judy yes. Ann was like, "Drum, dude, they just call. They're going to Tortola. Right, like right, you're not right. going to land here." And you were like, "Ah, yeah." And then I think I, because I was borrowing somebody's car or something, I zipped back to Gun Creek where the boat was. Luckily, it was fueled up, and I think I stopped at Bucks and grabbed a whole bunch of Schaefers, and then just hit the road. Sounds about right. Went, yeah. Oh man, and it's. You know, I, I don't know exactly the mileage, but it's going to be like seven miles of not open ocean, but Sir Francis Drake Passage. and uh, It can get channel. gnarly out there. It can get gnarly when it's windy. Um, but, yeah, like we said, I mean, those those conditions, it was flat comp, so I'm just pedaling the metal full throttle, and I got down there. Oh, my God. That was – it actually – I was so happy because I knew how fun that is to be out in that little Boston whaler and just <sighs> – I was in love from that moment. I was like, oh, this is normal. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. No, everybody gets in from the Tortola Airport, huh? <laughs> this is sweet. <laughs> like, what a place. Oh, my gosh. Well, I, it's been so amazing uh, to to bring people down there uh, on my sort of recommendation or whatever and have you guys outlast me even staying there. And, There's a couple and of us hanging on. Killing it. Yeah, it really is. Like. It's amazing to see, and I'm so glad that because I know you guys are just bringing so much to that community and that country. I mean, when you're dealing with such a small place, what is it, twenty seven thousand people? There's a little more. It's over thirty, but basically, is it yeah. over thirty. Okay, yeah. and but I mean, you know, I, like they used to. I remember Dolores used to have that sort of ambassador program at the at the bitter end, where you know, for people who are really doing a great job engaging with the guests, they sort of were like these ambassadors for it. But I, I think you guys have, have done that as a whole for the for the entire country, really, because any time it's like you guys have that mindset, as Brooks would say, you know, you've got that that juicing sort of factor where when people are visitors, you hone in on them and you guys just nail it every single time. And so, like, you, I don't know, you just helped create what makes that country so wonderful and so special. Yeah, it's a special place. I mean, it's easy to love. Yeah, the natural beauty aesthetically, it's so gorgeous. You wake up in the morning, and everywhere you look is just jaw dropping beauty. Oh yeah. But then from there, there's the activities. I mean, if you like the water, there's nowhere better. Sailing, snorkeling, kiteboarding, scuba diving, windsurfing, foil e foiling, beach combing, just drinking. I mean, 
There's something literally for everybody. Just drinking. That's just what a lot of people do. I know. Hey, yeah. But the best part, man, is the people and the culture. Yeah. It's just you get in trouble if you don't say good morning to someone. That And I think that should be the norm everywhere. But I know obviously can't do that in, like, say, New York City. If, you, if you're the guy walking around saying good morning to every single person, you're that guy. Yeah. You can't do it. <laughs> I have, like, an adjustment period when I come back. It's like I go to check out at a grocery store and I'm like, Hey, good afternoon. Yeah, How are you doing? Yeah, yeah. And they're like, do you have a Bush's my way card? <laughs> and like, oh God. Uh, yeah, sure. Here's my groceries. Let's just do this transaction versus you're checking out in the islands and it's, you know, yeah. Bridgel who's, you know, or whatever at <laughs> right way. Who's checking you out. Yeah. You're asking about the kids. She's asking about your wife. It's a 10 minute process. Island time, here. baby. Yeah. Cause you got the time. You're already on the Island. That's uh, what I say all about you. Love it. Might be an excuse for for Sparrow being a slow boat. I'm like, why would you need to go fast? You're already on a boat. <laughs> the goal has been achieved. Like, you're good. You're good. Yeah, you probably got some yacht racers who probably disagree with you there. Huh? Yeah, <laughs> definitely a hundred percent. Hey, what what time do you have to go? I got time. Okay, it's cool. nine twenty. I got a haircut at ten twenty. So beautiful. I okay. got time. I wanted to ask you. So so I've had to make that transition going from and and i don't know if you can talk about like the future a year from now oh okay okay never mind then sort of well i just uh, yeah it's that that interesting transition of of being down there and living in the islands and then making transition to coming back yeah what i'll say i mean event like for sure so i recently got married back in april uh fun story i am from dexter michigan just outside ann arbor born and raised here shout out dexter that's where we are right now actually fantastic lovely home yeah it's pretty cool i'm on like a two-week holiday from the bvi right now and what a chance that you're doing your speaking tour and you end up at the dexter district library doing this incredible speech last night about your sailing adventures and life lessons and it just happened to coincide with when I'm back. That was so special. Very special for me, too, man. Seriously. So that was cool. But what I will say is that I got married, fell in love. Uh, I met a girl from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Wait, but- no. Was it in that order? What? No. <laughs> I got married, and then you fell in love? <laughs> oh, no. I, uh, we'll flip those. <laughs> Let's flip those around. <laughs> and, uh, I took a chance, man, you know? Yeah. you going to roll the dice. And so far, so good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Morgan's gonna listen to this anyway, so probably, we're probably yeah, safe. She gets enough of you uh, already. I think. Uh, <laughs> but a funny story is that I fell in love with a girl from Grand Rapids, Michigan. But we met at a Saber Rock happy hour down yeah. in the British Virgin Islands. Crazy, which is crazy. But like our long, we love the BVI. We love living on Virgin Gorda. Long term, our plan is to move back to Michigan. This is where our families are. This is where we grew up. We love it here. And this is where we want to raise our families and have a house and establish our life eventually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, okay. And, I, I'm sorry, go ahead. And I'm being, it's going to be an adjustment for me in a big way. Huge. Like, way. just what do I do during winter? Yeah, yeah, that one, that one's a little tricky. You do have to, you have to get a little creative for sure. And I, you know, pace of life definitely. So that I, as being somebody who's who's spent, eh, not not an entire winter, but at least like three to four months uh, up in northern Michigan over the last bunch of years, you know, trying to do things like work on these other books and other projects. Uh, yeah. So you're saying I got to become an author? Well, I'm saying you you definitely have to have if if you don't have a job per se that's keeping you busy eight hours every single day, sort of thing. Having having some of uh, 
something else that uh, you can feel productive, not just like a hobby, but something, I don't know. I mean, that's where things like the podcast and, and sort of some of the content creation, but more for me, I mean, I, I've got like three different books that I've had to shelve because, you know, life gets in the way and jobs get in the way, trying to like work an eight hour day and then continue to write a book and stuff. It's, it's almost impossible if you're trying to actually make something that's good. You need that, that time where you can dedicate the first four hours of your day to that to really create something that's that's kind of nice. But having those projects is what saves. If I, if I just went up to northern Michigan and didn't really have anything to do, I think I would uh, I'd go Jack Nicholas. Shining, <laughs> you know? Well, that's good advice. <laughs> Are you still writing right now? Uh, now that you've done, I, you kind of you're not working eight hours a day anymore. You're really built, you know. Building the speaking tour and the full right, yeah. into Oblivion brand here. Are you are you doing art stuff right like now? Right now, the focus is the talks and the podcast. That's the main thing. And then once once I sort of settle into exactly what's going to happen in the winter, um, that's when yeah, it'll sort of transition. If because typically like the presentations and stuff are great for the summer and the fall, and you might get a couple in the winter time. But typically the fall is like the really for for what I've found, at least for my clientele, that's when they're trying to do these wrap up events and things. I'm hoping to expand that, obviously, Um, but the podcast will just be ongoing. I'm always just going to keep doing that because it's just nice to be able to sit down and chat with somebody. Um, But for, you know, when I wrote Sailing into Oblivion, I had to be I I went down to the Caribbean and I sat on anchor. And that's what I did. I did four hours of that every single day without interruption, like not until it was finished, until I, I typed that last page. And that was the only way I could do it. All the other books, I have, I have the addendum to it, which is basically the log book and the journal in all its entirety. Um, and all the, the information, that was what I was – I have that that I'm trying to work on. Um, and then there's the book about the doldrums and then – I don't know the AT book. I started writing that. I have like fifty thousand words or something. I that went, you started writing or in logs? Uh, no, I that I wrote already. Yeah, and the only problem is, I went back through because I got sort of a bit of writer's block as I got into the last few states, and you know, I kind of was like, well, you know, I don't want to waste my time. I'm gonna just go back and I'll start editing and stuff. And I started reading this thing. I was like, this is the most boring <laughs> book I have ever read in my you, life. You bored yourself. Oh my God. Oh, yeah, that's not I, a great sign. Well, and I was just, I thought back to Sailing to Oblivion and how I, I kind of broke it up with that narration a little bit of, of, you know, there's the log entries that take you from the knockdown on March 17th to getting to like Cape Horn and all that, that's intermixed with the rest of the story. Well, the, I was like, man, I got to come up with some sort of shtick for this, this book. Uh, there's gotta be something I can intermingle. And I thought about, you know, the, the camping stories that are really funny, but that me and the guys would go out when I first started camping, when I was like 18, you know, and I, I had no idea what I was doing. I'm trying to learn, and there were, you know, it's a compilation of me, like, getting lost in the woods, uh, that story. And then, you know, do a chapter of the AT, and then the next one would be like, oh, well, remember that time that I camped in a hole, and it started raining, <laughs> and I was basically sitting there for five hours just waiting. Uh, that sort of stuff. But the point is, though, is if what was what would happen is I'd get pretty far into these projects, and then I'd have to go get a job. 
just to be able to feed myself. Mm -hmm. And then, I don't know, it's just... For me, and I know there's incredible people out there uh, that that can handle just doing this massive amount, juggling all these things. But I, I find that at least with the writing projects, having you know a couple of months where you can just do that and focus entirely on that, um, that's what I need to be able to actually complete those. Do you enjoy the process of writing, or is it like? Do you find it? demanding i mean I, it feels like to me to try to write a book would be a gigantic undertaking it, it would stress me to the moon it, it's it's a little bit daunting sometimes when you have those pitfalls of a bit of writer's block and you're not feeling creative uh but when you do have that time i just sort of kept my mantra was that hey you know i'm sitting in the caribbean i'm on anchor i'm on this boat and for the next four hours i'm just gonna be trying to write some stuff out that's not a bad way to spend a day and then i get the whole rest of the day off um and so i kind of tried to trick my brain into thinking okay yeah this is fun uh, but yeah i mean when when you're trying to do other stuff and then you're you're trying to force yourself to write that's pretty difficult i was very lucky as well because i had the the journals i had the log book so i had a lot of information to sort of go off i couldn't imagine just trying to create a, you know, fictional story. I, I that I think would be really, really hard. I've I've got a friend of mine, uh, Barry, who and he's been on the podcast. Yeah, Barry, he's got a, like three books, um, and it's this this storyboard that he he made up about this family that goes cruising and there's intrigue and suspense and plots and all this sort of stuff. They're big, thick novels, and I'm just Which like is totally fictional. Yeah, totally. And it, 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 it just, I don't know, it was one of those things where I, I read the first one and I was like, holy cow, like, way to go, Barry. That's pretty I impressive. And I think it's, I think the first one's called Chicken of the Sea and uh, it's available on Amazon. Yeah. Shout out, Barry. Give shout out, Barry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, What's yeah. that? Does he have a last name? You remember? I can't remember. Barry, Chicken <laughs> of the back Sea. On that, back Find it on the Amazon. Pre-100 episode, something like that. But yeah, hey, I don't, don't you have, don't, but don't you have a uh, children's book? Well, you were telling me about this yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I, Can well, we I talk got, about that? I, yeah, I got the uh, I got the first of the bunch of of illustrations back from the illustrator, this guy Alex, and he's fantastic. Like you know, I essentially he he showed me a few examples, and I looked at it early on when we were trying to make these agreements for it because it's a six book series, and you know I had finished the manuscript quite a long time ago. We found my sister Ina. Shout out Ina. We. Uh, found the illustrator she found the illustrator introduced me and then he shows me these examples okay that's great blah blah blah. and then i get super busy again once again got to get this big job working 100 percent of the time and then and i said i was like listen i you're probably not even gonna hear from me for the next like four months until i finish this gig at camp and lo and behold i i hit him up as soon as i finished and had a little time to breathe and he he had done quite a bit of work and he's you know for him because there's no interaction he's kind of like well i hope this is okay and he sends me a couple of these and i look at it and i'm just like this is so beyond perfect <laughs> like i you know the idea i don't want to like spoil any of it but essentially you know it's one of those where you can read it to a group or you know you can sit there one-on-one -on -one and read it to a kid but essentially you know you open it up and on one page is the illustration of what's going on, but that bleeds underneath the other side, which is a nice, like, unrolled scroll, old-timey piratey thing with all the text on it. 
And the first image from the first page, it just it knocked my socks off because they, you know, it's a children's book, so you could think, oh, these are just gonna be like basic illustrations, they're not really gonna have a whole lot of depth to them. It's me as a kid sitting there on, you know, on Walloon, like knee deep in the water, and I'm playing with a toy boat. But the reflection in the water of the boat is Sparrow. And I'm just like, yeah, I got goosebumps. Just yeah, saying. I was like, holy cow, that's amazing. And I noticed it right off the bat. And, you know, I could see when I we did a video call the other night. And when I said it, I was like, I was blown away. He must have been able to see it because it's big, a smile. <laughs> and I was like, just keep going, man. I want to get this thing out by Christmas. These are Yeah, awesome. that makes sense. So I so how do you publish this? How does this get printed? Where does it get printed? Sticking right with Amazon. I get to format it all. I throw it right into, like, I get to size it. So Amazon it has a publishing stuff. arm for... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Kindle, is that what you're um, doing with Sailing into Oblivion still? That's what Sailing... Yeah, totally. Cool. And I, honest to God, I, I spent a year of my life trying to get a publisher to agree to, you know put out my book and I was writing all these proposals and all this stuff. And anybody that sort of even bit on it a little bit, they wanted to change that book like crazy. And I kept thinking of Motissier and how he didn't even like to edit his own book. Like he, he kind of felt, and you know, his books are a little different for sure, but they're also legendary and they always will be. They're going to go on forever because mm -hmm. they're so unique. But essentially, he would get that written word down, and he was like, that's what I was writing in that moment. It's perfect. Don't touch it. You'll screw it up. And I kind of thought to myself, eventually, I was like, you know, I don't want to change this book so that it sounds like every other book. I want mine to be a little bit different. And then once I found out you could just do it on Amazon, it didn't cost you anything. You just give Jeff his cut. Mm -hmm. Boom. I was like, you know what? And and now listening to a lot of podcasts of, of pretty prominent like uh, people in you know, all facets of life, but like on Lex Friedman's podcast and stuff, they they go and they these guys on current events and you know, a lot of it's politics or whatever, they write these books and they're like, No, I just self publish them on Amazon now. Cause you know, who cares if it doesn't it's never gonna see the New York Times bestseller list. They're like, I've got an audience already. I'm doing it for them anyway. And it's just easy because then you're putting out exactly what you want to put out. Are you do you regret your decision to not like keep searching a publisher and have them edit it? Or are not you happy right. with like this is now totally mine with it. Yeah, forever? Yeah. It's cool. I mean, it's I find it really cool that you have a book like that. It's almost a legacy. Oh, it's a statement it, to have it like that feels amazing. outlives you. You know, that's something that will always exist. Let's hope so. I mean, you know, and and I've been very fortunate, and I think it's through through a lot of the talks and things like that that helps uh, keep the book alive. Because I I heard a long time ago when I was doing all my research, it said essentially if you self publish on Amazon, the average is that you'll sell like two hundred and fifty books, and then it disappears. Yeah, new books the, get published, you get you know pumped on the algorithm, yeah, whatever. Because they have. 5 million books available on there something like that and yeah it just kind of keeps dropping and dropping but uh you know fortunately it it keeps selling and so it stays on that first page when you said type in sailing books and it's like holy cow we're i mean because we're it came out at the tail end of 2019 and now it's 2023, so it's been out there for a number of years. And I don't know. I, I am starting to feel a little bit of pressure to get something else out there. And 
the one that I'm kind of most excited about, besides the children's book, which I think is just it's kind of a different different deal, uh, is the the book about the doldrums. Because, You've been talking about this one for a while. Yeah, well, the doldrums have always fascinated me, and this one will be a little bit more of a, I don't want to say professionally done book, but essentially, instead of just talking, talking about my experiences in the doldrums, I want to actually get some of the research, some of the history, all that, because I want, I want the reader to be able to not only experience it through what I went through crossing it, you know, seven, eight times, but also I want them to get a nice little history lesson of the pitfalls and cause it's got such, you know, I mean, ships are sailing down back when they didn't know what the heck was going on. And they're in the trade winds, just like, Bert, like awesome. blasting around. And then all of a sudden, boom, the wind quits and they're floating there for days and the waters, you know, running out and they're, they're, you know, the horses are looking pretty tasty cause the food's running and the blistering sun and, they talk about these guys being down there and literally turning like black from being just absolutely sunburnt. And yeah, I didn't have, I can't imagine they had uh, sun, SPF 50 sunscreen <laughs> no, back in the dude. day. No, and it's, all you know, 90 something degrees, so you can't like cover up, really. It's just, I mean, it, it, it's such a fascinating. So is there a lot of, stores, of there going to be a lot of historical context like the, that yeah, in this yeah. combined with your experiences? Obviously mm-hmm. sailing through them. Exactly. So it's going to, you know, I, I have some pretty interesting, because n- there's been times where, you know, I had an engine and I could I could motor through some of it. But most of the trips, I that was just not an option. I, w- I just had to do it like the old timey sailors. And, you know, when the wind came up, you took advantage of it. And when it didn't, you just sat there and you waited and the madness creeps in and the heat. I can remember just being down below and I would use those old school handkerchiefs and I'd get them wet, put them in the freezer, pull them out. And I'd, I'd lay them on top of me to try and lay down in that bunk because I was just otherwise I was sweating so profusely because down below is 100 degrees Ugh. up on deck. You're in the sun like it was just it's not one a of those breath of wind to cool like, you down. Ah, yeah. And yeah, I went too good. It's yeah, it's not easy. So but those challenges are also. When you when you breach that, like say you're headed south and you you get into the southeast trades, glory. Has there ever a better feeling? Ah. Like I remember, me and my wife went on. This is not compared to that. But we went on like a three week camping trip in the America West. We're living out the back of a jeep, seeing all these national parks. I mean, it was an awesome trip. Um, we went and finally did. It was in like November though, so it was cold. Yeah, C- cozying up every night in the back, which was great because there was no crowds. Yeah. Um, so I do mm-hmm. recommend that in that month. But I think I do October <laughs> next time. <laughs> Kids there are still in school. Yeah, it's not yeah, quite yeah. so cold. But anyway, we went to Crater Lake National Park in Oregon, which is incredible. And we're coming home, and we're plan was to go to a dispersed campsite. There's no running water. It's just somewhere out in the woods, totally free. And we kind of just both go look at each other, and we're just like, "Do you want to get a hotel room tonight?" <laughs> and I, that Motel Six has never been sweeter yeah, than it was yeah, on yeah, that yeah, night. Dude. Oh, we were just like a bed, and we had a, we ordered a pizza. Uh, it's not like we really achieved much there, but there's just something when you put yourself in an uncomfortable situation and then you come out of it that feels amazing. Yeah. Oh, exactly. I mean, I've always said like that going through hardship to then get to even just ordinary, it makes that extraordinary. I mean, you know, I use it out in the sailing world where you go through just like a big five, six day patch of ugly weather 
And then you get out to that nice, bright, sunny day, which, you know, a bright, sunny day, if you would have just left the dock, would have been great. You know, it's, uh, that's what you want. But when you go through all that ugly to get out there, all of a sudden, that bright, sunny day is like the greatest day <laughs> in the world. And that, to be honest with you, that that really um, added to this this idea of taking on challenges and what it does to your life. Uh, you know, giving it that purpose, giving you that drive, and then also teaching you and, and making it so that you grow as a person and see what you're really made of, test yourself, all that sort of stuff. Those are sort of the the two, I guess, themes uh, that I'm trying to really be able to articulate better than I am right now um, with my presentations. Those are sort of the... <clears throat> The things, and I, I guess, side note though, one of the reasons that I wanted to do the big figure eight voyage around the Americas and then around uh, Antarctica, mm -hmm. shout out Randall Reeves, who pioneered that route, um, was when I did my trip, my sort of Shangri-La, and I think that's the title of the chapter, was when you round Cape Horn and you get far enough north that you're out of the Southern Ocean, and I reached the variables, and I had three days of 10 to 12 knot winds with fluffy, perfect clouds, no squalls. The, the swell was gone. The waves were gentle. And I, I have one little video clip that wouldn't make sense to anybody else, uh, but I'm just describing these clouds, and I'm just sitting there. And I remember those days as being some of the greatest days of my life by far, where I was finally out of the evil, the danger, all that sort of stuff. And I was back into this normal world of like just normal, pleasant sailing. But for me, that had been four and a half months of that, plus the two months prior where I was thinking about those four months in the Southern Ocean. And man, it, but it kind of got me thinking. I was like, man. If I did the figure eight, how good would that spot feel? So if I'm out there for 300-something days, and then I finally get there, ooh-wee. <laughs> <laughs> so weakness. Yeah. But it's it not just that, like sailing time, too. I mean, you worked for years, saving every penny yeah, to, to yeah, find, yeah. be able to buy a Sparrow, and then putting the years in of working on Sparrow and getting her ready for this voyage and getting yourself ready and learning about the boat. Like you, It makes total sense to me. I mean, you put so much time and effort and thought and into that and then that was the everest coming was, around yeah. horn man and the, like, so it was phew. yeah it was getting out of horrible terrible oceans and sailing conditions and having a champagne moment but it was the years of like struggle and you know work that you'd put in to get to that exact moment too that well, I made it that much sweeter. I mean, I was definitely lucky that that a lot of that stuff I found very interesting and fun. Um, you know, working on the boat and trying to fix it and make it better and stronger and all that stuff. But kind of the interesting thing I'm trying to figure out is how how you sort of equate that to like everyday life because you know, just on the smallest scale, it's like, oh, you know, I got to clean up the yard. And how do I make that challenge and that task feel i don't know how, how do i make how do i make that comparison that leap from okay i'm going through this bad weather but it's a good thing because when i get to the end of that it's going to make it that much better how do i make that sort of make sense in the world of yeah like 
yard work or a really crummy week at work or something like that. That's what I'm trying to noodle around in my I, brain. I think uh, when you figure that out, that's how you get paid the big bucks. <laughs> <laughs> you connect I those dots, so. my friend. Yeah. You're gonna Nike's gonna be calling. There they're gonna go. want sailing into oblivion. <laughs> speaking at the yearly sales <laughs> conference. That's what they're gonna want. Oh, the adventures I could have. So is that? I mean, is that? Would that be your? Long term, like let's say you could go sailing three or four months every year on Sparrow. Yeah. Come back, do speaking arrangements, make enough money to put the food on the table and fix the boat and then some. Would that be the dream life setup where you sail and then you speak and maybe we write a little bit and we sell some merch and we sell some books and then we go sail again? I think Is that so. kind of yeah, long term yeah. you'd love to still be on the water. Well, there's and still yeah, crossing oceans. I, I have this. Uh, I call it my retirement plan, uh, but it, it wouldn't be retirement from, you know, all the stuff that I'm doing. Uh, it's just basically when I get to a point where it kind of becomes a little self-sustaining, it would be, and this is probably after maybe one or two other solo voyages, because I'm definitely not done with that on Sparrow. Um, there's, I have to prove to myself that that last voyage didn't just end it all for me. Um, and that's a mental game more than anything, I think. Uh, but essentially the retirement plan was always, you know, once, once I get to a point where I've done what I've wanted to do with Sparrow, it's time to pass that on to somebody else, some, somebody younger, uh, who's ready, who's hungry, who needs to go out and have those experiences. And then, you know, I'm, I'm probably going to give it away for a song sort of thing. Uh, but then it's to find the bigger vessel on the West coast fix it up you know that sort of thing. i'm i'm talking maybe high 45 55 feet something like that an old you know hulking sort of catamaran kind of boat mm -hmm. something strong but needs a lot of work so i can get it cheap fix it up for a year or two and then with other people on multiple legs of the journey return bring that boat all the way around the world back to the east coast so via the South Pacific and some of the very far flung islands, Easter Island, places like that through the Indian ocean, uh, around, obviously you got to go around Cape of Good Hope, but you know, stopping in places in South Africa and then slowly back up Caribbean to the East coast. And I'm thinking five year trip, something like stopping that. Stopping everywhere. Anybody can come along. Hello you know, style, bringing friends on. Exactly. And you know, it's not something, I mean, I, I don't ever really see myself transitioning from this like solo sailing YouTube guy who just puts his experiences out there for people to be able to either learn stuff or at least just see what, what it's like to being sort of more in that sort of soap opera sailing. Like on this episode, we go from blah, blah, blah which are, are fine. I think they're really entertaining and stuff like that, but it's just not something I want to do with my time and but it's a lot of, I mean, that's a full ton time. Ton of work, full you don't time have time. Class. They're not writing books. And like, that's yeah. a, the amount, the amount of editing that goes, they're like movies. I mean, these oh, the yeah. guys now on YouTube are yeah. have incredibly high quality and the competition that they're facing. I mean, there's a ton of these channels out there. So you have to Very deliver to yeah. that quality of, I mean, these guys got $10,000 cameras that they're filming on. Like, I don't know. It's, I don't know. it's 360 cameras. Yeah, it's full on video. They're full on videographers now. So it's impressive, but I, I put a lot of respect into the, the amount of work that goes into what those, those channels are putting out too. Oh yeah. And I, I just, I, it's for me, it's one of those things where I, I'm in that experience to, to be fully immersed in it. And, 
you know, if I got the sense of mind to clip a GoPro on the back while I'm about to go catch some rain out of my sail, that I can handle. Uh, but yeah, trying to trying to make it exciting or all that sort of stuff. It's just I. I've done it once, uh, and there's like a full series from that last voyage on YouTube, but like that was a lot, that was a lot to do during, and it took me <clears throat> out of the experience quite a bit. And then, you know, when you get back trying to edit all that stuff together, it's just, that's, I'd much rather try and write a book for sure. Yeah, I get you. So. It seems like what you're doing is working though. I mean, you're up to, I don't know, 15,000 plus followers, on Instagram, I think. Uh, we just hit thirty-four thousand. I mean, wait, well, okay, look yeah, at that. Yeah, like, yeah, that's yeah. a on Instagram, <laughs> which is strange. That's like a serious number. I yeah, I don't know why that that happened the way it did because it all happened this summer. But uh, well, you started putting out a bunch of I think short probably, form, yeah, just content of up. you sailing. Yeah, I guess. But I, you know, and it that's kind of it's it's been nice because can people can mod- reach me. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, like they can DM me on there and 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 you know, possibly for things like different presentations or sponsorships, anything like Have that. Have you looked into monetizing Instagram at all? Is that an opportunity? I don't know. I don't know anything about I don't that. Know like how many followers you need yeah. or no doing idea. ads. So you're not even worried about that. No, uh, no. That that's one that's one avenue where I'm I'm just kind of treating that as like uh hey, you know, this is what I'm up to today and this is where I am in the world. Um, just in case, you know, somebody is kind of like, oh, hey, well, that guy looks like he'd be fun to come and have an event with and uh, let's get him out here to, to speak and that sort of stuff. Is that the same with YouTube? No, YouTube, YouTube for me has just been uh, a way for me to share the raw footage, the experience of being out there. And, you know, you, you get caught up in it a little bit. So you're putting out the YouTube shorts and stuff, which is essentially Instagram or TikTok, but in YouTube. Um, but for the videos and stuff, I really like to, I mean, I have, I have a bunch of different categories as far as like, one of them's just like sailing views where I'll go clip a GoPro on and then leave it for five, 10 minutes and I'm out sailing. And then I'll just upload that as, you know, sailing at sunset, sailing view, boom. And that's all people get is they get a little 10 minute thing where they can turn it on, look at it and be like, wow, that's pretty. And that's that's fine for me. It's not going to get a million hits by any means, but it it's that's sort of the how I've wanted to cultivate that channel of just raw footage. It doesn't always have to have me sitting there yammering on. Uh, I do enough of that on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I do like the videos though when you narrate when we're seeing yeah, you do stuff. Yeah. But, you know, like let me show you talk about me reefing my main. I sale. like the voiceover ones. Those ah, are kind of fun. I like those yeah, a lot. Yeah, but. But so, you're not worried about monetizing that either. You're just well, that's monetized. Yeah. That, oh, it is. That generates a little bit, but you really you have to be putting out some some content that people are eating up for it to to generate a decent amount of money. I I really wanted more than anything just to be able to get that merch line in there because um, I like the shirts. I think that's people a, like the shirts and stuff. That's so. a big revenue. I mean, you look at all these channels and you look at these companies like this is where they're making. They're making it money on be, merch, yeah. man. It's it's tough though, because unless you're prepared to work for it and you have your own stock and you're getting your shirts made and you're doing the shipping, when the reality is, you know, you go through these companies for you know influencer type people, you do your line, uh, and they're you know you might make like four dollars off of a shirt and you might sell like one shirt every couple of days. I mean, who knows what these other people are doing? They might be selling you know 50 shirts a day yeah yeah okay they bingo so i don't know i don't know it's it's a crazy world i'll tell you it is it is a bit of a trap though 
because there are times where I find myself putting a whole lot of time into it, that sort of stuff. And you're like, hold on, man, life is going by out there. And you're just sort of like, I got to turn this phone. On. I got to turn the computer off. I got to just go outside. Yeah. I just got to go outside. And, you know, I could see how. It's easy in today's world. Yeah. Well, I you mean, can get just so wrapped up easy. in it. Yeah. I try my, my very best to create stuff and not consume it. Uh, it's very hard to go and like put some post on like Instagram or something like that. And then that not sort of scroll through a little bit, you know, you see one of your friends or something like that's doing something. And then at least the next, and then, you know, suddenly you wake up and you're like, it's three in the morning. <laughs> gotta be up Luckily, in three hours. Yeah. That doesn't happen to me very often. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's, um, it's kind of weird though. There are, and there is this sort of, contradiction where i'm telling people to go out and find their own little adventure no matter how big or small and i'm trying to inspire them to go out and experience this sort of stuff and yet at the same time i'm pumping out this content it's trying to have them sit and watch this content you know what i mean so it's kind of like i'm i don't know i i've always struggled with that a little bit and there's been times where i'm like i should just shut all this stuff off cut like disappear the channels disappear the instagram all that stuff and like force people to go out but that's i don't know that no i understand the, the conflict that you're having but the problem is then you're not gonna be able to reach them with your message you know exactly, with the yeah. bigger message that you're not being able to share this is how you're gonna get your word across in today's world and if you don't do that i think you're gonna sell yourself short and not reach people and you're i mean the real power is i don't I think you're going to empower going to your speech last night. I mean, it was awesome. You saw my buddy when we were sitting at dinner. He was pretty stoked. He yeah. was super stoked. I mean, to the point of he he took the message out of it and he summed it up beautifully. He was like, I loved how you wrapped it all together. And you, talk, you talked about this sailing story, but you said you're going to go through the rough seas uh, to earn the beautiful days. Yeah. And that was, a, you know, I thought it was a poetic way of saying everything you said in that hour long talk. And I, I personally believe that that's where your real power is in this motivational speaking that you tie back to the adventures that you've been on. And I don't, no offense. I don't think your two minute sailing video on YouTube is going to change, like change someone to be like, yes, challenge and adventure. But I think that video is maybe how you get in front of someone right, and, right, and right. do that. Cause you're such an engaging person that is with true. this like amazing personality and amazing story to tell. And I think you've, you're really starting to fine tune the speech into a way now I've seen you last night that it's, it does that, you know, it's, it was a motivating experience, not only to get outside for me, it's for someone who loves sailing. I was like, Oh, yeah, well, I want to get back right. on the water now. Like, Maybe not it. do that. Maybe not that water. <laughs> yeah. But I want to go home sailing. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> and, uh, but also, I mean, you challenge, you brought it back to just, you know, every day come overcoming whatever someone might be dealing with. And I think there's a real opportunity for you, man. Well, thank you, Dabbler. I, I appreciate that, man. I, I'm just going to keep on plugging away and keep trying because I, I definitely believe in it. And I, I think there is something to be said for having having your own thing. I mean, I love working for other people and and, you know, representing a company like Bitter End and stuff. That was 10 of the best years I'll ever have. And I'll always think so fondly of them for sure. And who knows? You, you may end up back there for a little bit, uh, but. There's something, and I don't know if it's getting older and you start thinking about this more, but when you create something on your own that's helping you sort of, you know, create a living, 
it's it's hard it's a risk you never know what's going to happen but if it does sort of work i think it's something you can be very proud of um and that's what i'm trying to do at this point well good luck i believe in you Thank you, Dabbler, and thank you for coming on, man. Dude, like, Friend I of the pod. Got, uh, yeah, dude. I love doing these pod, like this podcast. And I, I will say, just side note, like I I I don't have my phone, but uh I received a great email and I get these now more and more where dude just is like, Hey, I uh, just wanna let you know I finished this voyage and it'll show like a map of the Atlantic and he's like gone all the way around it. He's like He's like, your podcast got me motivated to, to actually do it. I've been thinking about it for years. And he's like, dude, you you know, you said it enough times. And I was finally like, this is the year. And thank you. And I'm just like, oh, oh, that's if I can do that for one person, man, it's all been worth it, right? Changing the world. One person at a time. <laughs> <laughs> one wave at a time. <laughs> all right, Dobbs. Well, uh, other than that, man, have a safe trip back down to the BVI. Thanks. I go on Sunday. Dude, that's crazy. Are you excited to go back down? Always. Always, yeah. Come on, dude. Well, I I can't, you know, I can't thank you enough for for just all the years, dude. All the years. Many like, more to come. Many more to come. And uh, I don't know. I'm trying to wrap this up somehow poetically, but I don't know. I can't. <laughs> no, it's been great <laughs> to see you. Yeah. What a, uh, the universe bringing us together, dude. One week I'm here. You happen to be in Dexter for each go our separate ways. It's, uh, it's pretty powerful stuff. Excellent. And uh, pleasure was all mine. Thank you, Jabs.